Wilkins, you are now laying on my headphone cable and my power cable, and you're halfway on the keyboard while you groom yourself. You are a, a dirty, rowdy, bad boy, but I can't stay mad at you because you got those little socks. And... Oh, yeah, and uh, welcome, to, uh, welcome back to uh, uh, Terminus, the uh, Rachel Ray Nutrish, uh, Wilkins' uh, preferred cat food of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. Ceremonial Alligator Helm. Hell yeah. Yeah, buddy. We're taking and, it back. <laughs> and I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. Comments are turned off by Relapse Records. <laughs> are they? Just I, I, on at least on a specific on, on a specific video I was listening to uh, earlier today. Um, <laughs> was it a good one or a bad one? <laughs> if you, you if, oh, it was, it was really bad. If you want to understand what that was, I'll bring it back up later. But I have to get there in the show. So, gosh, you'll have to listen to the show. Oh God, it's something that we we absolutely don't want, even as we make the show ourselves. Um. Okay, guys, welcome back. Terminus Extreme Metal Podcast, episode 118. God, the numbers just get higher, and I just get sadder with the state of my life. <laughs> uh, but we've actually got a, a fun show today. We got sort of a, a, a melange of different releases, uh, a couple actually from the same band. And uh, yeah, no, I think this is, is going to be a fun one. I've this got, is a good episode, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, this is gonna be. This is um. This is high entertainment music. Yes. yes. Yeah. This is all extremely sort of. This is all very, very negative high entertainment music. Exactly. Oh boy. Well, I mean, with that, I guess we don't have much preamble. Oh, uh, I should do my my regular housekeeping. Uh, follow me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, or the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. And if you're particularly dedicated, uh, you can uh, subscribe to us on Patreon. Three dollars and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, and five dollars and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server where we discuss the intricacies of the Elder Scrolls video games and talk about the latest boo. drama with Azrar. What what do you mean boo? Well, I have no problem with Elder Scrolls. I just think Skyrim sucks. Well, yeah, no, we're we're talking about Morrowind and Oblivion. Oh, few, yeah. Y- you would know if you were more involved in our life, dad. <laughs> it's like <laughs> just uh you're fucking irresponsible. Right. You're supposed to be tending to all the All right, flock. we're going to stop talking. Hey, we're, we're, you can take that up with your mom. All right. Um, <laughs> let's get back to shilling. So um, I just wanted to do my occasional uh, meta shill. That is, um, I think we have a bunch of new listeners post-holidays. Uh, so that's awesome. Thanks. Um, if you are one of the people who follows us only on the podcast and you have some old, inactive youtube account called like you know um defenestrator 007 uh (laughs) you should definitely uh reactivate it and subscribe to us just to inflate our numbers vice versa if you primarily listen to us on youtube so that you can leave scathing negative comments uh you should uh also and you have some old inactive uh you know, Spotify account or something. You should follow us there to artificially inflate our numbers. Thanks, bros. 
You can also do that with all your real accounts, too. I don't know why you're specifically targeting old inactive well, accounts. Like, well, well, you know what I mean. You know what I mean, though, right? People say, oh, I don't use, uh, oh, I listen to, I just listen to you guys as a podcast. I don't really use YouTube. And it's like, yeah, but I bet you do. <laughs> all right, fair enough. So, yeah, uh, also feel free to use a botnet to generate, you know, thousands of artificial accounts, all of which can subscribe to us, you know. You can also <laughs> generate DDoS attacks on our uh, rivals. Oh, God, please do. Blast beat network, your days are counted. Uh, all right. We deny all knowledge. All right, so uh, first up, our uh, appetizer section of today. Um <laughs> I get uh, I get permission via the internal terminus contract to subject everyone to a pure slam record maybe twice a year, and episodes with Hyper Shaman don't count. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, pretty early in the year, I'm cashing one of those checks to play the debut. I think they're calling it an EP, although it's really basically a full length it's almost half an hour uh from a cuban slam band called orphan autopsy uh these guys are coming out of havana this is their debut and only release so no demo prior and i stumbled across this one completely by accident i can't remember if it was uh youtube or if it was uh metal archives or slam worldwide or something but i listened to I skimmed and listened to probably five seconds total, and I knew it needed to be on the show because this isn't this is without question one of the best slam releases I've heard in at least a couple years. Um, so Orphan Autopsy does a relatively polished and pure and modern style of slam. Um, the soup of influences here seems centered pretty heavily around uh, cephalotripsy. Uh, Devourment's Butcher the Week, their second album, and uh, a Peruvian slam band called Raped by Pigs, which seems to be also a primary influence. Yes, Raped by Pigs, by the way, are fucking awesome, dude. <laughs> They're so good. Um, so yeah, this is a a band that really works off the template set by cephalotripsy of the sort of lattice work of slams. This is a very pure record. There's maybe two or three tremolo riffs on the entire thing. Although there's a fair amount of blast beats, very fast ones, in fact, over just slam riffs. Um, <laughs> there is really no way to suggest that this is unique but it is one of the finest executions of pure slam that I've heard in a lot of years. Um, nowadays, a lot of slam finds itself accidentally or intentionally incorporating more and more bits of deathcore and other genres into the into the mix. But this is like a slam record from 2007, like early abominable putridity or something. Just purity of vision and execution all the way. Um, so what does a great slam record need? Well, it needs great slams. Uh, this has it. Uh, it needs a powerful drum performance. That gets underrated. And the drummer here is truly phenomenal. Uh, I think this may in some sense be a drummer band where that's sort of the leading instrument. Mm. Uh, and three, it has to be about horrible things and not about space and math and shit. And... <laughs> This uh, this debut EP titled Blistering Deprived from Sanity seems to be very, very specifically and particularly focused on killing and eating pregnant women. <laughs> so <Whoa. laughs> it's, uh, 
it's uh, it's pretty extreme. It is uh, remarkably vile, the contents. But uh, with all that preamble, uh, let's listen to some slams. And I'm curious, Black Metal Guy, to see what you think about this. Because the last time I brought a slam record on the show was the, uh, the 357 Homicide record, which was unbearable for you. But um, <laughs> Oh, and this has a track featuring Matt and Jake from 357 Yeah, Homicide. 357 is definitely, um, definitely an influence here, but this is a little bit closer to, like, death metal, death metal. So we'll see if that makes a difference. Um, so the first sample I want to play is off of the track Unorthodox Partum Procedures. Uh, and here to start, I really want to draw attention to the drummer. Um, this guy just has a, an incredible sense of pacing and a wonderfully musical feel and the technical chops to really impress someone like me who's just been listening to this kind of music for a long time. Nothing too technical is going to happen, but it's just a marvel listening to why to the way this guy plays with the flow of rhythm across a song and really sort of guides the track in a way that guitars typically would on another record. Say, say what you were saying while that was playing. It's a great point. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it, 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 it's like proof uh, how, how, how deep we are in the Kali Yuga that uh, people are allowed to record music like this that just has samples of pregnant women being eaten. And <laughs> that they're not like, you know thrown in jail or killed by mobs. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. a sign of how sick and fallen our world is. And 
boy, is it entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I, boy, do we love it. <laughs> I definitely did choose this sample uh, specifically because it also included the sample of the the baby crying yeah. and then the horrible squelching sound can, of it. Like, can you can you imagine somebody even in like 1950 proposing that that was like cool art? Right? <laughs> like Jack Kerouac would like shoot you. Right? It's like. Like, Imagine a death metal oh guy in 1990 hearing that. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. You'd be so, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is about gutting cheerleaders not eating pregnant women. <laughs> My mom was a pregnant woman. Yeah, um, but she was never a cheerleader. Um, <laughs> all right, so, so obviously, apart from the absurdly high entertainment value of just how sick and brutal it is, um, the drumming is just fucking outstanding um a couple things pay attention to i mean one just the musicality and the pacing of it but those kick flurries uh are so beautiful those little kick triplets that he's throwing in across the more rock oriented beats and the blasting this guy does is just fucking insane they sound kind of like gravity blasts until you kind of hone in on it and you realize no these are just open-handed direct blast beats he's just delivering them with with so much confidence and finesse that you don't even really notice how fast they are. Those are insanely exaggerated. Uh, so I think I think he's definitely a guy to watch going forward. But apart from that, it's just wonderfully paced music for music that is composed of basically nothing but slam riffs. There's a remarkable amount of chromatic depth that these guys are able to explore through the arrangement and rearrangement of let's be honest, like five frets on the guitar, you know? <laughs> That's a good riff. I, that was a very slammy slam. Yeah, I, yeah. I liked it. Yeah. It's, um, I, I thought the vocals over that, the sort of like, uh, um... What was it? The sort of trilling or like uh, the, the 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 clicking stuff? Yeah, we uh, the, we the rolling kind of purring thing mm-hmm. he was doing. Yeah, they call them predators. Yeah, yeah, predator vocals. Yeah, it, it, it for sure. So that was really really sick um, and heavy. And then of course that he just went to like the full retard grunt after that. <laughs> uh, oh, we knew it was coming. It's um, really, really cool. And then just, you know, you get the dubstep drop it as we fade out. That was, which I presume was another slam, right? There's a lattice work of slams. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a, I can't, there's a sub drop roughly every 30 seconds on this album, which is how it should be. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I'm, I'm rarely in the mood for shit like that, but I was watching an MMA documentary on Nate Diaz. <laughs> That's the move, man. This is, yeah, this yeah. Is, oh man, like this would be cool to listen to over just a compilation of like oh. horrifying knockouts in the yeah, UFC. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so after that, let's go to uh, another charming track called "Feasting on Spoiled Stillbirth." I love, I love that they emphasize that it's spoiled. Like that makes it so much worse than what's already happening. You know, God. If it was if it was fresh stillbirth, that would be completely acceptable. But spoiled, God, what kind of animal are you? Um, so this is 
uh, really just a song that shows the band firing on all cylinders. This one might be my favorite on the album. Uh, again, you've got the lattice work of slams, uh, including some really cool sort of micro variations in the guitar that play around with rhythmic inflection. There's a really cool instance where you've got a variation on a riff that is a variation because it just deletes a chord from the middle of it <laughs> and allows really weird negative space cool. to swirl in. And also... There's another really neat moment where you're going to hear a slam riff introduced, and then when the rest of the band comes in, there's going to be a massive tempo drop, like a full tempo drop, not a halftime, that gives everything this this wonderfully lurching, depraved quality. Uh, it's just it's it's just a real good time. was it twice that i i just yelled fuck yeah while i was going <laughs> yeah 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 that was um that 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 was pretty insane so with the first dropout it, it was cool how the first dropout starts the slam sequence but it um or maybe it's already slamming when it's already slamming pretty hard it's all slamming yeah yeah um <laughs> But at that point, it starts to get... I was expecting more intense rhythmic action, but it just like brings in the um, the token death metal guitar in a pretty interesting way, right? You get like the trem comes in there and starts harmonizing it with this kind of like squalling lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's pretty cool. Uh, and then instead of going anywhere more death metal, we're just in a part that just sounds maybe more like old school hip like early 90s hip hop than anything else on the record oh yeah that that really uh, aggressive swing yeah that swing time section i think that's one of the things they're pulling from 357 homicide is because they're so focused on those really aggressively swung formations Mm. um so it's interesting to hear these guys reel that back in but incorporate it um 
Really, I I guess bringing this record on the show, I think what interests me so much about Slam, apart from just the high entertainment value and, you know, it's all timbres that I like, is how Slam is sort of, um, it's it's purely mechanical music. It's, it's sort of uh, albums are made out of essentially prefabricated pieces just because what defines Slam is so mm. narrow. Um, so really when you look at the breadth of slam death bands, you're really looking at, you know, thousands of guys who are all on a level playing field. They all have the same access to the same parts. And then Mm. it's purely in their own creativity and how they can think to incorporate these elements that determines how good it is. It's, um, it's very different from listening to say a conventional death or black metal record, which have more opportunity for expansive musical statements versus slam, which has, you know, a total of 10 things you can do. And you got to figure out how to arrange those in the most interesting way. This is Josh from defeated sanity. And you're listening to terminus extreme metal podcast. All right. And we are back from me humming riffs into my phone to review a split that we were trying to fit on the schedule last year, but then we decided to just combine with our next review. This is the Seelenvihollenen Sudentival split that came out uh, later last year in the fall on D88 Records. So, uh, two Finnish bands starting with S. Um, the Seelenvihollenen side, right? We're reviewing a, another EP. By, by them in the next next episode so or next segment uh, and they're kind of related they go together well so the material on this split right is uh, it's songs that would you know couldn't make it on their last record uh, Teloitus Gaski which we reviewed uh, a while back I think like two years ago now um, I think so yeah yeah uh, but the thing that makes them sort of different from the record songs is that uh, these were all self-produced and recorded, which means Matthias, the main man, was also doing the drums uh, and all the recording on that. Um, and the songs themselves are a lot, uh, a lot more direct and sort of punkish, and it matches the recording approach. And it's actually one of the burlier guitar tones I've heard from Seelan. Uh, and uh, which I think is I, I liked better in a way than the tone on the last full length, which was a little th- clean and thin. Um, uh, so these are just some solid, high energy Seelan Vaholan songs, uh, and um, I think you can hear the you can hear the home the more energetic home recording approach on this. Um, and what, what do you make of that side first? We'll, we'll go side by side, and then we'll do the samples. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I think it's really solid. Um, I, I mean, you can kind of tell that these are leftover songs, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily make them bad. They're just very direct and to the point and wouldn't necessarily follow in the flow of the previous album. Uh, which I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. I'm convinced Finnish is a fake fucking language. There's no way people are actually saying this stuff in real life. But <laughs> anyway, uh, I will say in real life they all just speak perfect English. They learn in elementary school to each other. Yeah, these are just a bunch of sounds, man. <laughs> these aren't words. Uh, so 
One thing that's interesting is I, I don't know if it's coincidental or if it's kind of deliberate in the track listing they chose, but it does feel like Seelan Vaholanen is leaning into that sort of street punk aspect a little mm -hmm. bit more, which would make mm -hmm. sense going sure. on this split with Sud and Tyvel, who are very, very in that direction. Um, so it's interesting listening to this and especially joining it with the new EP that we're also going to cover because it seems like this is a band that is exploring very specific aspects of its own sound. You know, like it, it acknowledges that there's all these different influences, but then mm -hmm. it chooses mm -hmm. one to emphasize maybe on these splits or these EPs, these smaller releases, sort of as R&D that comes to fruition in full on a full-length record. So I'm very yes. interested to see what happens with the next Seelan Vaholanen full-length uh, when you take these two releases into account. Yeah, exactly. I would say just, you know, the couple songs on this split, right? Uh, they're just th uh, three on the split. Um, they, yeah, in themselves, they're just, yeah, solid, solid, aggressive ceiling tracks, but they make more sense even just in relation to the EP that follows as I think sort of warm-ups for it because the recording approach is broadly the same. Uh, and so they'll make after you hear the next thing it'll make more sense as a preliminary stage you'll hear that thing that the death metal guy always stresses right that like every individual work by a band or an artist exists as part of a process and i think you know often it makes there are certain things that make more sense after you hear the thing afterward mm -hmm. right um yeah and this is certainly a guy who works by process and iteration and as you say just showing us different sides of his sound yeah, goes. yeah. Seelan Vaholanen's music feels very deliberate and exploratory, and it's it's a weird word to use, but professional. You know, yeah. it's it's yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's weird to describe. You know, a scrappy kind of punky black metal band like that. But there's uh, Matthias, and you know, the rest of his guys seem to be very deliberate in the way they iterate on their sound in this very workmanlike way and that's something that i always really appreciate you know that's part of the oi thing i mm -hmm. remember reading an interview with an american uh really oi influenced hardcore band back in the day and they said oh you know we liked to go to the bar and you know have a good time but we didn't like to party in the way the punk guys did because we all had to go to work the next day yeah <laughs> sealing beholden it is definitely working man's black metal yeah it's working class it's, it's sort of disciplined working class music so uh and now, uh, for the second half, definitely a lot less disciplined. Uh, <laughs> so, Sudan Taival is going for, basically, you know, on the Goat Moon review, I talked about the first half of Voito Taivalhalla being, uh, you know, after the finished Steel Storm and stuff, being a favorite of mine uh, from him. Basically, what that is, is just kind of a little selection of just menacing Finnish redneck punk. Like, sort of, like, full, extremely folky, but in a place where Finnish folk intersects with, like, bluegrass hoedown mm -hmm. and just knuckle-dragging punk stuff. Um, and it's really quite good. And Sudentival seems to be that turned into a whole band with even more direct influence from... Uh, from garage punk. I mean, it really sounds... I'm sure they're referencing all sorts of bands that I don't know. However, what it reminds me of is, like, sort of the gnarlier sound of, I don't know, like, hardcore guys doing garage punk. It sounds like a band called Hank Wood and the Hammerheads from New York in, the, in like, the 2010s. <laughs> you know? okay. or, like, or, like, Hoax. 
The, oh, this is all stuff completely outside my purview. So I, I basically, it sounds like very hip and very deliberately retarded hardcore, stompy hardcore from like 2011. Okay, I got gotcha. you. 2012, yeah. Yeah, I, I can imagine that being the origin, uh, or maybe not the origin, but maybe a substantial influence. But at the same time, Sudentival to me really resembles um, just a lot of like particularly folky RAC stuff that you'll hear mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Finland and some of the stuff out of Russia. Um, it's not really my thing. Uh, I think for me, it's just... I understand that it's kind of the point, but Sudan Tyvel's music is really bled dry of black metal aggression and extremity. This is just, mm-hmm. you know, stompy oi party music with some black metal influence. And I, I guess the way that I feel about this is kind of the way you feel listening to, you know, Roster Chester or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's mm-hmm. just like it's it's so it's so sapped of darkness. It just kind of mm. feels like, you know, Schlager music to me. It, it just goes too far in that direction for me to connect with. I think the darkness or aggression is supposed to be in the kind of jankiness of it, if that makes sense. I understand why you might not. I understand why you might not buy it, right? But I think part of the heaviness is supposed to be the sort of like, um, uh, sort of slouching, uh, s- slouching, swaggering, drunken rhythms. You know what I mean? The way it kind of lurches menacingly. I gotcha. It's, I felt like I felt like Sudan Tyvel was pretty like straight and pretty even sounding though. But may- maybe well, let me give it another listen. We'll we'll see what we think. Mm-hmm. Um, so should we just start with uh, our sample from Seelenvoholen? Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, okay. So uh, I've got the seal and the hole inside this time. Um, so I sampled from the third track, uh, Haska Kunigas, mm-hmm. uh, something yeah. like that. Okay, yeah, something my... about kings, you know, yeah. Haska Kunigas. <laughs> sure. Right? Yeah, that hear, sounds. You can hear there's like you can hear there's like Norwegian. Some Finnish words have a lot of like Norwegian and Swedish, a lot of Norse in them, and others just sound like you know, uh, you know. The language of Lapland witches. <laughs> so, so Haska Kunigas is uh, is my choice. This is the third. This is the last track on Silendahorn inside of the split, um, and it is really good. I think it's the best song on the split. I think you agreed with that also. Like this mm-hmm. is the big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the banger. Yeah. Th- this is the one that really kind of combines all the gestures from the past couple tracks and bolts them together in a really compelling way. So. I could have, in Death Metal Guy tradition, uh, I've chosen the second track, which is just nothing but giant, melodic Finnish riffs. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm growing up, I'm an adult, and I can recognize what's wrong with me. So instead, I've taken the one that's like a rough and tumble stomper, and it also has the giant Finnish riffs. So I think I am ready to drive my own car. Yeah. 
like how uh, I like how Seelan Vaholinen is secretly guitar guy music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I think that's really. I mean, we were just talking about this during the break, and it's you know it's territory we've covered on the show before, but we both really appreciate black metal guys. Uh, you know, newer bands. Not that this is like such a newer band. This is a band with a pedigree behind them, but we're starting to hear more real guitar playing in black metal, not just in the sense of technicality, but in the sense of musicality and the sense of a little bit more of a free form relationship with rhythm. Um, mm-hmm. And Seelan Vaholinen is very disciplined music, but you can tell that there's joy in playing the instrument. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. 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 I, I really like that. So obviously listening to that um, really cool, just rough sort of thrashy number up front into a really neat set of sort of dissection-inspired lead riffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just sort of expands from there in the big giant climax at the end of this side of the split. Um, it's a ton of fun. Is it comparable to stuff off the previous record? Of course, but uh, I really like the the slow accumulation of melody and impact. And yeah, I just think it's a really excellent song by these guys. Yeah, and in terms of secret guitar, I mean, you can also hear the sort of also, to the guitar guy point, just the deft craftsman's turn, this guy gives everything, right? Even mm-hmm. So he does the sort of, a thing that sounds like a big riff, but turns out to not be, because there are so many others following it. But he does that sort of like blasting uh, single string lead arpeggio run, and the way he sets up the pattern and then turns it halfway through on one of the reps in an unexpected way, and then when you think he's going to keep changing it, he goes back to the first one. Uh, it's just sort of clever head fake writing that, yeah, somebody who enjoys playing guitar and someone who thinks about playing guitar and not in like an abstruse, like reading Death Spell Omega tabs way. Yeah, no, it's, um, mm. I, I think if there's one thing to really appreciate with Seelan Beholinen, obviously the riffing is good and everything, but it, it really is about the the energy and the physicality as, as we mm-hmm, always mm-hmm. emphasize, which is something that black metal needed for a long time is starting to get a lot more of nowadays. Yeah, that is exciting. So speaking of, uh, speaking of physicality, uh, dragging your knuckles on the floor of the finish club, <laughs> it is, uh, student And, uh, so yeah, let's, you know, let's see how me and the death metal guys' impressions, where, where they match up as we return to listen to this track for the first time in a couple months. Um, so let's go back to, um, I think my, my pick off this would just be the first of their tracks, which is Demerit.
you'd expect them to start playing Miserloo at any second. Yeah, no, I, I I definitely get where you're coming from, and I definitely get the the whole garage punk thing that you're talking about. I mean, if there is one thing that really distinguishes Sudan Tyval, it's the fact that it's it is Schlager music, but it's also just a lot. It owes a lot more to the '70s than most bands that sound kind of like them. The '70s or even earlier. Uh, so yeah, I mean, so this this is structurally Schlager, Schlager for sure. I think it's clear conflagration and or if you're looking for just you know like yeah uh, punch up in the beer hall tracks, conflagration and aura have a lot more sort of Germanic folky stuff in them, uh, but like. They're more conspicuously that they have the riffs that would make you associate it with Rosterchester and stuff and whatever. It's very. This I mean, is. It's probably directly related to absurd. You know. Oh, for, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this must be in a way. This is just an extended gloss on ideas in absurd, right? Mm. Uh, especially the later stuff. Um, but it's like the melodies in the later stuff, super simplified and played with the primitivism of the early stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this is f- by far the most garagey track, and it really just sounds kind of American. Um, it does. That's it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's 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 kind of bluesy, uh, and it has guitar guy flourishes. Very primitive. He's playing as if he doesn't know how to play guitar, but you can hear in the flourishes he does right, and you get that. Right, there's, those kinds of bends. Like, there's a lot of slumming going on right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. It sounds like like Elvis, right? In and I'm not saying that in a bad way, right? They're just guitar gestures that sound like they're out of the 50s or early 60s, or like, I, like this. This is this track is a, this is like a psychobilly track. Yeah, you know? it is. It's um, it, if I had to compare it to one like one other older thing, um. So the, the, there's a place where the Schlager thing comes around to the most primordial garage punk. So the, the thing that's characteristically like, like Schlager in this one would just be the drums, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and what's interesting about him is it's not a D beat or a Slayer beat where you have the drum, the kick, snare, one, two pattern weighted heavily towards the snare with syncopation and with the, uh, you know, just the volume of the hit. Uh-huh. Right? The snare comes second, but it's really just the core of the beat. This is heavily weighted toward the downbeat. Right, and uh, it it has a little bit more of an upbeat feel with the sort of what you could call the verse riff, the faster verse riff. But as soon as it starts getting a little bit like uh, 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 the riffs start getting a little more playful and sort of improv-y, the guitar it gets really heavy downbeat feel, uh, and that's what gives it this sort of like lurching. Uh, you know, lurching redneck hoedown vibe. Um, the and where it converges with is yeah, this really primitive rockabilly stuff. So like, do you remember on like the third terminus I played Hazel Adkins? Yeah, I do remember that actually. Yeah, so blast from the past. I'm just gonna play that as the inter real quick interlude between this and the next uh, the EP. Uh, but like. Right, Hazel Adkins is like recorded this in the 50s or v- very. I think. 
extremely early, like I think in the 50s, and it was, he heard Hank Williams on the radio, and he thought that because the song was credited to Hank Williams, you know, the senior, it only Hank recorded it. And so he was a one-man band playing his own drums with like a kick drum, uh, and it has that same just really heavy boop da boop da boop da boop da, and the riffs are just he like in, independently invented power chords. chicken walk with uh, a grim reaper crusher of souls walk from Seeland Vihulanen with the new EP Seeland Morskaya which means crusher of souls uh, so yeah independent release and like the Seeland side of the split uh, all self-recorded uh, self-produced um, uh, but with a crucial difference. And so on the last one, you were talking, we were talking about sort of working class ethic, right? And you were talking about a certain kind of professionalism that accompanies all this. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, there's kind of an interesting story for this. So, yeah, Matthias basically sent us some press material uh, that he'd written. And um, he said he did it on a deliberately tight deadline. It was written, recorded, mixed, and mastered by him all in two weeks. And the goal was he, he wanted to do something in the way he did his early demos in a short burst of creativity. That's a quote. Uh, and the motive for all this is he said he was basically the fifth Zealand Vahonen record, uh, Helventincon, Hell Machine, was written over a year ago. And it's still not out as it's currently being mixed. And, you know, who knows how long it'll be when it's in front of us in a physical format with the long lines at the pressing plants. 
by the time the release is out, the music is already old to me. End quote, right? Mm-hmm. So I think everyone has experienced this, right? And in all sorts of ways. And, you know, it's no one in, it, it's no one's fault, right? It's just the process takes forever these days because of how long it takes to press records and then get them and just how long it takes to move them between countries. Um, so it's, uh, so, so like, you know, you, you reach a stage where the record is coming so far out after the, the period of creativity that it doesn't feel like a reward for what you did, right? It feels like, oh yeah, that's coming out. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, I mean, the record, the record will be due. I mean, hopefully sometime this year it'll be out, uh, but his goal was to get out ahead of it um, and, uh, you know, record something that felt fresher and more immediate to him. Um, and so, yeah, what, what, what did you make of it? Uh, this is really good. I think this is my favorite material I've heard from Seal and Um And given, given the story of how it was created... Um, I think this is this is a band where you know the guys involved are so talented and so seasoned that they can make the most of these sort of de- deliberately restrictive forms like operating on these really crunchy deadlines. It's basically one man is the thing, especially for these recordings. I think when he does the full band, he has a drummer. Oh, okay. Well, it's like cuz I know they play And then there's live, like a tour, so. then there's a touring lineup, but apparently I think when he, he said that when he does all the strings and vocals for the full band recordings, it's also just, or for the, uh, you know, the LPs, it's all just him recording them. Oh, okay. So I wasn't even I, aware of that. Yeah, yeah I've always yeah. just thought of him as a full band. Um, I think these things change, but yeah, I think the deal right now is he remains central dude. When there's a full length, there's probably a drummer playing on it, and then there's a larger touring ensemble. Okay, gotcha. Um so, yeah, so this works really well under the tight deadline. You can hear how these songs are sort of compressed and to the point, but not lacking in detail. Um, there's something very fluid and organic about these songs. And in terms of the sound, it's still recognizably Seelenvaholinen, but this is the band at its most melodic and in some ways most accessible, which is interesting. Uh, this seems like a project that has a really expansive view of Finnish black metal and kind of what that idea means. And I think coming from an American or just generally an outside perspective, we've got uh, an idea of what it is that might not neatly line up with how the Finns see it themselves. Because it seems to me like there's a lot of influences on this EP that come from places we wouldn't immediately associate. Um, like a lot of the leads on this remind me of Moon Sorrow in weird mm-hmm. ways. Um, Moon Sorrow are a great band, not a black metal band, but Moon Sorrow's always had its fingers in black metal and side projects, and they're friends with a bunch of guys from the Finnish black metal scene, like established musicians. So there's a lot more interplay across the lines of genre than we probably perceive. So here, this is Seal and Vaholinen taking their style, but incorporating a lot more sort of folky melody and even a lot of touches of melodeath. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that it's really cool. Um, I think that it's, I think it's really cool to hear the aggressive sort of second wave inspired style that Seal and Vaholinen 
cut its teeth on augmented by some of these more florid guitar ideas. Uh, I, I just think it's really neat. And it's a, it's a great compact little release. That's super listenable. It's designed to be flipped over and played again immediately. I, I think this is really good. Yeah. So, um, I think like in terms of where it stacks up for me, I also really like this. Um, and it, uh, it does, I think my favorite thing will probably still be the earliest material, uh, especially the, the compilation. I think I got to know him from the compilation, uh, Sivudesta, uh, back in the, the one that came out in 2014, mm-hmm. uh, but since this is an active effort to recover that energy, I think it really has succeeded, and it's translated that energy into very different kinds of songs. Uh, so this is certainly, yeah, it's really exciting. Um, of all the recent stuff I've heard from him, I think this is the best, and it, it's pointing forward in some cool ways. Um, and yeah, I agree with your references and your idea that, like, hmm, this is, you know... Uh, <laughs> In a way, when like when we hear Finnish black metal, we connect it right to say the formative guitar influences coming from Osculeman Fam and Senior Valand and stuff, right? Or wh- whatever, right? And we also hear it as a self-contained style. Uh, but this is Finnish black metal by Finns listening to Finns, and not necessarily in the black metal scene, or not necessarily in the parts of it we think about. So that I think that's a great point. And in your notes, you also mention, uh, you know, Impaled Nazarene, which is, again, one of those bands that we talk about a lot, and that's clearly important to the Finns, but has been sort of memory-holed by people outside it. Yeah. Um, and this, if it sounds like Impnaz, it's got to sound like... A, in terms of the structure, which we'll get into. It is very condensed, uh, high-speed punkish structures. Uh, but also, maybe in terms of Impnaz, that they're most children of Bottomy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, those later records where Alexi yeah. was playing guitar. <laughs> yeah, some of the Melodeath stuff on here is more just like straight-up power metal. And also, like, uh, you know, I think Mateus is not not shy to admit that he's really influenced by 80s video game soundtracks. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely detect some like video game or anime energy on some of yeah, these. <laughs> ab- absolutely. So that and that whole tendency has been really dialed up. But and you could, if you made a music that was all that, maybe it would be sort of bloated or uh, elaborate. But the really punkish stuff keeps it very tight. Um, uh, but there's also something different about this. It's, it's a really different mood. This is a mood that surfaces from time to time on his stuff, but this is the most prominent it's ever been. Uh, and the, I guess you could call it a noir vibe. Mm-hmm. Or it's just, you could just say it's really moody, right? What's the mood? I don't know. It's moody. Um, it's uh, And I'll try to explain it more. But um, do you remember how when we reviewed the last full length, there was that one odd track that was kind of sprawling and had this hair metal solo. And yeah, yeah. I, I did a bit where I described it as sort of Sunday afternoon in Helsinki. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we both really liked that one, and even though it's the kind of thing that I thought I wouldn't like. And on this record, all of the big power metal or Melodeth leads, they all feel like that. Um... And that is interesting. And the feel has crept out and expanded into the trem riffing in unexpected ways. And I'll try to get into that feel in my samples and figure it out. But first, the death metal guy. So, uh, middle track of the five, Varys and Taivan Silly. Um, 
I, if that's how it's pronounced. Ain't nothing silly about this. I, I was I was about to do a bit. I was like, well, I don't think it's silly. I think it's pretty good. Um, See, my bit was better. Um. <laughs> no one's prouder of you than I. Uh, <laughs> had to bring it back. Had to bring it back. De- uh, he, De- Death Metal guy said that to me in between the uh, in between the segments in reference to the fact that I was less late for recording. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I really like this track because it's super bold. And by what I mean is like, none of the stuff that you're going to hear on this record is unprecedented in terms of, you know, black metal band incorporating sort of florid melodeth lead guitar and stuff. I mean, that's, that's an idea that's been done before. Um, however, most uh, most bands that are doing that are trying to work up to those moments. It's like, okay, we got to mm-hmm. have a couple mm-hmm. minutes before we're allowed to access the Melodeth lead. Matthias <laughs> says, what if we just start with it and go? So yeah, right up front, uh, big sort of uh, windier lead just opens the track. It's mm-hmm. a super bold move. It, it's like, it, it's sort of paradoxical, but it, for a band like this, putting the most accessible thing straight up at the front is a really daring thing. And I like it. I, I like how that informs the rest of it. So instead of doing the standard thing where, oh no, we're going to start with all the dark furtive riffing and slowly a melodic idea will congeal and things will brighten up. No, fuck that. We're going to explore high contrast, you know, throughout this whole EP. We're going to have really gnarly second wave stuff placed directly in contact with the uh, big power metal lead riffing. And it's it's awesome. Um, 
And I especially love that uh, that final riff that we uh, finished the sample on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so dynamic. It's so explosive. It it adds a lot of depth to doing the basic cool thing, which is the skate punk black metal riff. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, the skate punk interval isn't used as like the bones of the riff. It's the turnaround. It's Mm -hmm. really interesting. It's an entirely different way of arranging that kind of riff. And it really goes to show this guy's um, sort of understated sophistication. And moreover, his like intense understanding in a very academic way of how these songs are written and how to do new things with old parts. Yeah, that's, I mean... That's a thing that sort of does the thing everyone wants on a skate punk black metal riff these days, but does it as a noble Franco-Finnish riff, which mm-hmm. is where those riffs, which is where the skate punky riffs are degenerated from in the first place. Yeah, they're all right? they're all like Dorian melodies just they're, gone retarded. Yeah, yeah, they're they're all dumbed down Finn Black, right? So he's just doing the same thing. He's just doing it as like a Finnish black metal riff, and it's great. Um, uh. I also really liked some of the most grinding second wave stuff on there. Um, as we were listening, I always mention it. It's, he does these, you know, sort of like uh, very dissonant sawing intervals, just a big swoop up. Does it twice. Another band, that could basically be the riff. Maybe there'd be just some shitty tune-up power turnaround on it or something. Uh, instead, there's this... Ent- it's like, oh, that launches this entire second part of the riff, which is this equally vicious but is this interesting sort of arcing descent from there and even though it descends it makes it a lot more epic uh um you could talk about at the uh one of the more sort of funky parts towards the end or embellished parts there was a ton of guitar guy stuff really cool bending and flourishes you can as you said on the last on the review of the split you can hear the joy in playing guitar on it um yeah it 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 captures that really captures the the initial couple years of playing the instrument where it's like oh fuck i found out how i can do that thing you just do it over and over again because you're so satisfied (laughs) yeah and it's also um it uh there's a level of detail on this ep that uh i mean like i hadn't noticed the bends there until Mm -hmm. i heard it again right there i think this is this is very horror evacuate writing um, and you will notice things on repeat listens that you did not notice before. Yeah, it's um, but it's it's also detail, the kind of detail you get from ripping out these riffs pretty quickly and mm-hmm. like adding these embellishments very naturally as mm-hmm. a sophisticated guitarist. It's yeah, not that's a good point. Yeah, it's it's like the perfect territory between planned out and established and very off the cuff. Yeah, it's like what you said about being sort of deliberately exploratory, right? Mm-hmm. He set up parameters that allowed him to really shoot from the hip, and, uh, you know, that that's cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's not it's not busy, and it's not, or it's not another kind of heart, good heart evacuate writing, which is the result of, like, I don't know, you know, like a fucking Mongrel's Cross record, which is the result of, like, three years of work. Yeah, just, like, um, meticulous plotting. Yes, exactly. So, um... <coughs> so, now let's get into the odd moodiness of this record. You've already heard it a little bit, 
uh, in some of the death metal guys sample, but mostly as an undertone in some of the turnarounds and changes. Uh, so it'll be clearer on this track, which is, uh, it's hard to pick a favorite on this record, honestly, which I think will be a theme tonight. Um, but when we get to our next one, but, um, Tuhan Loitsuya, uh, or Loitsuja, I'm, I think it probably Suya. Who knows? Um, starts so, with a, yeah. so this one starts with another kind a riff a little bit analogous to the skate punkish riff from the last one. But this is a this is a strong s- strong Franco Finnish riff, but it has a feeling of vastness that's uncommon in the style. It works by like steeply works with really wide intervals and a dropped root note. Um, if it sounds like anything, it sounds like certain riffs by like Kaivum or something. Mm, but okay. it almost immediately tightens up and the mood turns. out on a literal mellow death riff um <laughs> but uh like that's like one cent from the golden hall riff um but the uh the main body of that right you could hear that the way the intervals just sort of instantly narrowed right as soon as yeah. the lead came in uh that's like a theme here anytime you like get to a big thing almost any time in the in sections like the ones i was emphasizing there uh, almost anytime you get to like a big interval that you could rest on, like a fifth, it'll slither up into a six, or if you drop down to a six, it'll do something weird to make it more chromatic. Anytime you hit a root, it'll slide down an interval. And these are all techniques that, say, the Norwegians used to integrate uh, stern melody with like, you know, napalm death grinding dissonance. Yeah. But, but in a certain vein of, you know, late 90s, 2000s black metal, it gets exaggerated and turned into, like, sort of 
turns, these, these elaborate turns and flourishes and chord progressions that just make them feel sort of restless and sullen. Mm-hmm. Right? Even though these, right, even though the songs are compact, energetic, and aggressive, the melodies are always sort of like arcing or sliding down. Everything is like slipping into the next interval. Uh, there's a there's a lot of riffs that are sort of like sprightly melodic numbers that terminate in these very morose sort of sullen ways. It's interesting. Uh, another thing that I thought was interesting, and I've I noticed this across this EP, the way Matthias writes riffs in this very specific way. Um, I've talked about how one of the defining qualities of the French riffing style is the the sour turn that like cancels exactly. out the melody. So Matthias does a play on that, but the sour turn he relocates toward the middle of the riff rather than using it as an ending turnaround. So he starts playing around with the contrast of that, and it ends up becoming a weird semi-dissonant interrupter in the middle of the riff, and then the more melodic stuff plays around the edges of that, which is really unusual and kind of unique. That is very smart, and I that's something I was trying to put my trying to pin down. That's a really good way of putting it. Um, so yes, and also in the same way, he often delivers in the beginning. Yeah, when the sour turn is like the extremely dissonant thing, like in the middle of there, you heard a riff that incorporated a scronk chord coming mm-hmm. in at a sort of like conflicting harmony. Uh, that's a good example of it. And around then, he'll be using the narrow interval stuff, but often with an underlying chord progression or a harmonization that still gives it some of that epic uh, epic energy. Um, it, it's There was also a really cool rising riff there where he starts out with the, uh, you know, tense, narrowed intervals, and then sort of, like, forces it up a major interval, uh, and which makes it even sound more dissonant and tense, right? You get a whole step where you're expecting a half step or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the sort of stuff you can do when you are capable of writing actual chord progressions. And not in the sense of, like, stock, rock, and heavy metal chord progressions. So, Matthias' interest in soundtrack music, I think, and in just heavy metal and classic rock and whatever, means that he, he these songs have often follow real chord progressions that will do things like move you from a minor to a major, but the major is positioned such as to produce dissonance, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is part of the kind of, like, uh, anguished cabaret feel in a lot of French black metal. Yeah. Um, uh, which I'll get to in a sec. But the last thing I want to point out is just basically with that kind of sullen, restless noir feel, uh, you can hear his frustration with the writing process. Right? Yeah. With like, yeah. With like the, his frustration with the recording, with, you know, the with the lag on the full length, basically. You can hear his just wanting, you know wanting to bang out this EP out of out of frustration uh, and 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 so you get this uh, you get this more kind of um, yeah yeah you you get that more downcast mood with this furious energy anyway as for the French this feels very French mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up and it feels very much in the vein of French stuff that you're often more into right mutilation type vampiric stuff yeah. Um, yeah. 
And we are now getting to uh, an, a quick example of that. Uh, this is from uh, the fourth track. Let's see if I can do it. Yenkai Sesesti Fianit. Fuck me. Um, uh, and um, lead this off with a little uh, narrative prelude. Wrathfully, the vampire fainted. So that last riff was another good example of how he's able to uh, use these tight intervals to build really epic riffs. And there you could hear some of these like more major feeling uh, lifts and shifts happening there. Uh, he's able to, the riff continues longer than you think it's going to because he pulls out one of these chord changes at the very end. Um, uh so that escalate the song escalates from there. I would say that that's in fact one of the most sort of like uh, majestic riffs on the record, just in this very high tension way. And mm -hmm. when the riffs are rising up, the tension means they sort of rocket up vertically. But before that, right? You just just a classic fainting vampire riff. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad just, that that term stuck. <laughs> fainting yeah, vampire. <laughs> sometimes you'll hear things as that when I hear them as something different, but that is really, that's really it. Get it's the like, get the chase lounge ready for Dracula here. <laughs> you are out of blood, man of zero. Mm. Um, yeah, it's um, so. Yeah, so thinking about sources also in in French BM, this put me onto something.
<laughs> yeah, so y you hear that similarity, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely hear it. Seelan Vaholnan does it better, but, you know. <laughs> it's a, uh, you're still gonna, yeah, I mean, see, this Pestoir I can get behind. I, I it, you know, in fact, I wish I had listened to this record when I was being a contrarian about it, but, um. Yeah, know, I, I get what you we, mean. We are the way we are, which is why you all listen to this podcast. Ten years from now, we'll we'll, we'll revisit we'll revisit everything we ignored now. Um, but the um, uh, yeah, this is uh, there's also some really good just core riffing on this track, like right at the start of the sample. And I would honestly say that kind of vicious but epic kind of corded riff has that started off has a lot in common with some of the more epic moments on the Ceylon EP. Mm -hmm. um, but really, obviously, what we're looking at is this long, languid, narrow interval, ballad-style chord progression running riff. Uh, um, obviously, the Seal and Vaholan is way more tightened up and tense. It's a different kind of t tension, right? You know, uh, Pascal is going for decadence and uh, sort of uh, all that, but... The, the general way of forming melodies and the elaborate guitar soloing totally translates into Seelan Vaholanen. And, you know, we had a guy in our Discord say that, oh, you know, Seelan is, like, different from some of the other Finnish bands in that it's, like, specifically kind of hooligan BM in a way that, say, right, like, I, you know, Satanic War Master really isn't, right? Mm -hmm. Or Sargeist isn't. Um, and I just never made that direct connection. Like... It, 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 it's like it's like I just noticed the thing that was probably obvious to everyone else, but, like, uh, you know, I just realized.
All right, we are back. Um, I'm not going to do preamble. I'm going to do postamble. Rigor Sardonicus with Praeparet Bellum out on Memento Mori. Imagine, imagine a description of funeral doom. How do how like to someone who's not seasoned? Uh, okay, so you describe funeral doom as it's extremely slow, basically as slow as music gets, and it still functions as music. Tends to be extremely heavy, lots of very low, vast tones. Uh, the vocals tend to be extremely deep growls, uh, and uh, the melodies project. Uh, Oftentimes, a sense of death and hopelessness and misery and isolation. Now, all of us as like seasoned metalheads know that, okay, that that functions as a nutshell descriptor, but Funeral Doom's a lot more than that. Um, You know, there's all these uh, different little adjustments made between different bands. And, you know, at the end of the day, after you've heard 10 different Funeral Doom bands, you start to appreciate that there's a big breadth in what's possible within that sort of descriptor. But what if you had a band that just took that initial descriptor and made that music? Uh, uh, Totally unadorned. Just the idea of what a normal person would hear when they hear about music described in that way. That band exists, and that's Rigor Sardonicus. Um... So Rigor Sardonicus is a a Long Island two-piece that's been around for damn near 30 years now, toiling away, putting out a bunch of records over the course of decades, but really never getting any attention outside of mostly like really cult extreme doom people, which is fascinating because they are such a singular band who aren't really comparable to anything else. I mean, the closest thing that I can imagine uh, I, I, I described it in my notes as like somewhere between winter and demon sea played at quarter speed uh, there's also a way to think of this as just the slowest death metal that's ever been made maybe doom isn't even like a part of the equation mm-hmm. but what I can say is that Praper at Bellum is Phenomenal! It is singular. You're not going to hear another record that sounds like it this year or basically any other year because Rigor Sardonicus has cornered the market on what if we just did what you think Funeral Doom is. Uh, So I've mentioned this band a few times on the show, and I believe that I used one of their tracks as probably an outro on an episode, but I know this is the Black Metal guy's first full encounter with them. So what... What did you think, especially as somebody coming to this with, like, no prior knowledge? <laughs> well, you had played this for me a little before, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is sick. This is cool. But, you know, you play me a lot of stuff like that, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be necessarily stuff I'll seek out, right? So I wasn't sure. I wasn't totally sure how I was going to feel about this um, until I heard it, Uh I think I saw your note before. A scene uh, somewhere between Winter and Demoncy played at quarter speed. I was like, oh ho. Um, <laughs> that was certainly, certainly piqued my interest. But um, from the first riff, this is fucking awesome. Yeah, um, dude. <laughs> uh, so what do I love? I love that this is mixed to be played at 
devastating volume. Yes. I, I, I played it so loud. Um, I love the voltage crackling in the tone. Mm-hmm. Okay? This is... The one thing I can remember from you listening to them before was that there was this fierce sort of heat in the guitar sound that is very unusual in Doom and especially Funeral Doom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have this feeling that, like, even though this is technically incredibly slow, this is lightning metal. <laughs> um, it's like if you looked at the it's like if you thought of, um, you know, the record Ride the Lightning, but the only track you associated with it is For Whom the Bell Tolls. <laughs> A.K.A. if you were me. Um, and uh, in that, the light, slow lightning metal. It reminds me of sort of two other Long Island bands. Um, although I think I'll get into that. Yeah, no, I'll just mention it now. Like, it's an association right? There was an unearthly trance, right? From the early 2000s. Uh, had a... Uh, they they had, like, a record called Electrocution. That's, I think, what I must have been thinking of, even though they were very slow. Uh, but the record I... The band I first thought of, I was associating with Thraldom, and I went back and listened to both of these. Thraldom is incredible. Uh, I think I didn't quite get it when I was younger. I really get it now. It's like, uh, you know, Doom guys playing Thousand Swords, but without the pesky notes. That sounds um, fucking phenomenal. You'd really like it. Because I'm it's checking also, that out today. <laughs> it's also extremely power electronics in a really authentic way. Um, this, this sounds phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, Thraldom is awesome. Unearthly Trance is maybe their... I think their early records are more like that, but man, I checked out Electrocution again. It is fucking terrible. <laughs> um, and the, the reference... Like, like you, you should check it out just because you would find it amusing. Um, I, I had such a strong negative reaction to it. I was like... Because before I was like... I, I, I was like, oh, shit, why didn't I listen to these guys back in the day? Oh, fuck. I, well, I... I, I yeah, I, I know why, um, and that's where I got the um, the thing at the be- the bit at the beginning of the show about uh, comments turned off by Relapse Records. Oh yeah, <laughs> I looked up one of those tracks, and it's one of those track by track uploads. And under one of them, there's just like maybe twenty likes and nine fucking dislikes. Oh man, <laughs> which is a terror for a, for a record that's been out for that's probably was perceived as an important record at one point. It's just. Dev, you know, uh, but yeah, they're basically very sludgy and trying very hard to be entertaining and like the Melvins. Uh, that is a phone that I must turn off. Um, except I instead take a photograph. <laughs> Sorry, this is the uh, the black metal guy's debuff to technology. So, um, you're, I've, you're, I've a, the field of your black magic interferes with the electronics. Exactly. It can't handle all of my lightning metal. So, on that note, let's get back to the record itself. Uh, Diversion aside, so I I wonder if these guys knew the Thraldom guys, but it's also possible they didn't, because Rigor Sardonicus sound like true hermetic weirdos. Yeah. Um, It it is incredibly hermetic-sounding music, because you can't... can't, (laughs) This this record is the opposite of socialization in any form. (laughs) So... 
I, I think what makes this so distinct is part of it is just the sheer audacity of the timbres on display. The like, for instance, it's like rigor sardonicus um, uses very deep growls that are pitch shifted to be even lower. Why do they do that? Because that makes it lower and heavier. There's a the id is fully at work on this album. Decisions are made for very simple reasons of intensity, heaviness, and gloom. Um, so there's that aspect of about how severe the timbres on display are, and there's also just a, a sort of like deliberate hostility to the listener in that most of these songs are two, maybe three riffs for a very elaborate song for them. And usually they are not adjoined in any clean or pleasant way. Um, this is as blocky and primitive as sort of like the most gorked raw CDR black metal that I used to Absolutely. listen to. Yeah. Um, but from that comes its own atmosphere. And it's a very funeral doom atmosphere of just sheer granite walls of chords hanging in negative space with zero interest in pleasing you or creating something catchy or something traditionally pleasant. It's, it's, it's extremely hostile to the listener. However, it's also extremely just heavy fucking metal in all the ways that count you bringing up ride the lightning makes sense here because there is somewhere down the line, deep within the bowels of this music, like a lot of Metallica and there's a lot of black mm -hmm, Sabbath mm -hmm. and there's a lot of like the heaviest moments of Zeppelin slowed down and exaggerated to just torturous degrees. Um, as extreme as this is, you see the through line all the way back to 1970 on it. This is just the inevitable, horrible conclusion of the initial tritone of Black Sabbath's self-titled yes, track. This, I totally agree with you about the Sabbath thing. I heard it basically right off the bat on the first track. And, uh -huh. you know, uh, this would be recognizable to Black Sabbath as what they were doing. Yeah, uh, Oz, Ozzy yeah. would hate it, but Tony Iommi would love it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Geezer would probably like it. Um, Tony and Geezer would be into it. Bill, nah, it's not jammy enough. But, <clears throat> mm -hmm. but no, yeah. It's so it's interesting that like I, we've talked about a lot of very extreme doom metal on this show, and, uh, and I just really love that style. But it's rare that you hear one of those bands directly access the originating impulses of traditional doom metal, and Rigor Sardonicus does this. You know, th there is. You, the proximity between this and St. Vitus is really right there, which is oh. fascinating. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I get that for sure. It's like a more just, it's it's the same kind of like, uh, well, St. Vitus had its own kind of hermetic weirdo thing, right? You just sort of completely just drop out of life and become a blur. Yeah, and yeah. St. Vitus's music is a lot more sort of listless or despondent, but like, this is, it's, it's very, this is like the aggressive version of that. I totally get it. Yeah. Cause the mood is worth talking about. Cause I will say rigor sardonicus really does create a, a fascinating kind of mood out of the, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. very few ingredients, which is like, this is, I mean, this is as, as funeral doom as anything can be. 
but it doesn't feel sad. It feels like gloomy and kind of despondent, but it never feels sad or tragic. Really, it just sounds like fucking evil. And just, yes, yes. It just it's like it's like malevolent ghosts torturing you or something. It's there's something so a fascinating thing has resulted from how primitive this music is, which it's like it's beyond medieval torture. It's like fucking Stone Age torture or something. It's I, I've never heard anything that sounds like this band because nobody would commit to this idea in the way that these two guys have. It's, it's just like. It's before they had any subtlety in torture, like exquisite, excruciating, perverse pain. Now, we're just going to pull your leg off and leave you alive. We just hit you with a rock over and over again, (laughs) you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, And through that, through the sheer primitivity, you access a sort of a weird dark spiritual realm. It's like I said, it's like you're being tortured by ghosts or something. It's truly surreal and bizarre. Um, which kind of aligns it with the torture doom stuff, but there's something more ethereal about this music, despite how heavy and malevolent it is. I, it's fascinating. I should probably just play some of it so they know what the fuck we're talking about, shouldn't I? Hell yeah, bro. Okay, so I want to go to a song called Terra Mota Est. Uh, all of Rigor Sardonicus's songs are in, uh, their titles are in Latin. This is a consistent thing across their career. Um, so a couple things to point out. Uh, one, yes, this is what the album sounds like. The entire album sounds like what I'm about to play. <laughs> it's like, you could probably think two-minute sample, oh, they took a weird part. No, this is the material this record is made of. Um... So a couple things I want to point out. Uh, one, the Sabbathisms are going to come out very clearly in this sort of like awful mutilated pentatonic scale that these guys primarily operate in. And two, this is a two riff sample. Listen to how horrible and clanging the transition between these two riffs are. They had one riff. They had the other riff. They didn't even think about giving a shit about the idea of blending those things together one stops the next one starts and you die
So, yeah, what you just heard is the homogenous material that this album is made of, and all the other Rigor Sardonicus albums are made of. Uh, Rigor Sardonicus has possibly only one riff and possibly 10 million riffs. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to tell. Um, so, yeah, that transition, that was um, nauseating. <laughs> There's just just like complete contempt for the listener. One riff stops, the other one starts. There's no clean transition with the drum machine. It just feels wrong and sickly. Um, and it follows that sickly feeling with a very strangely shaped riff with a really pronounced syncopation at the end. And syncopation barely makes any mechanical sense in something as slow as Rigor Sardonicus. It almost makes you wonder, are these riffs written at a more normal pace? And then they mm. just drive them all the way down into the floor. That might explain why they're so, like, riffy. Yeah, there's, there's such a the, groove to it. outstanding primordial extreme music riffs uh, throughout. Just the riffs, I love the riffs. Um, and it really would make sense if they, they slowed it down. I mean, about that transition, also, there's something about it that's like, uh, it's it's definitely like a transition by fiat, but I think they, it's, for something that sounds like really awkward, I think they pull it off in a very natural way. It just like, instead of, they switch to a triplet or something, right? And yeah, instead, it, it, it's it, like it's, it sounds like instead of finishing the riff in the logical place, like it just drops a half step and then another. It just like trips down the stairs in chromatic, mm -hmm. and as it does that, the time signature changes so it naturally lands on the one or something, and then suddenly you're in three, like yeah, heavily no, swung I, three. I love that transition. The first time I heard that listening to this record, I was like, what the fuck is happening yeah, here? That's, <laughs> it's really disgusting. And it's, that's a very just a brutal doom. Just chord changes like that to me seem very much like a brutal doom and the best war metal kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I like the and the reason I bring it isn't just because it's hilarious and bizarre and horrifying. But it's sort of demonstrative of just like the sheer nihilism of the record. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, this is, you know, we've t we've said this a few times on the show, but this is one. It's been like ten years since the last Rigor Sardonicus record, um, and they could have spent either the whole ten years writing this record, or they could have done this in like a week. It's it's mm -hmm. only one of those two. Like, it, it, it is not between. It didn't take a year to write. It took either a week or it took oh, a Oh, we said this about the Cake record, which is also a, uh, yeah, yeah. a really good parallel. Yeah, and it turned out, uh, uh, Jan actually told us that it's like, oh, it was actually written, like, very quickly, mm -hmm. um, which kind of makes sense. Yeah, so, but let's zero in <coughs> on the blues thing there. I find that really fascinating because Funeral Doom just, as a rule, strays away from the blues roots of doom metal in general. The only exception yeah. being, um, if you want to, you know, you could argue what you classify them, but Warning operates at Funeral Doom tempos for the most hmm. part. Interesting. Um, but, I mean, they're a trad doom band just played at 40 beats a minute. Um, but they're pretty much the only other example of uh, doom metal bands operating this slowly and also with that distinct melodic inflection. And what this brings to mind for me is like listening to some 
horrible, impossibly heavy, warped version of Delta Blues or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. if you listen to some of those really old Delta Blues recordings, those are really creepy and unsettling. You know, notes are constantly swimming in and out of tune. There's this unearthly feel to the whole thing. And this this feels like a, a sort of extremely heavy articulation of that sort of idea. Like listening to a song like, you know, Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground or something. It's like they're hearing the same things Danzig liked about it and just taking a very different path. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I got I got my Danzig reference in. Anyway, um but yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense and it's um you know, it's crazy that it does still feel, you know, there's not blue stuff all over the place, but there's a fair amount of it and the sense of swing and rhythm even in passages that aren't bluesy might have that feel of early bluesy doom metal. Um one thing about Funeral Doom, in part why I like it so much, is it totally cuts ties with the sort of, to me, kind of embarrassing roots of, you know, doom metal, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Black Sabbath is obviously a fantastic band, but they were also a hippie rock band, right? Yeah. And in a lot of the metal bands following that, they just don't move into extreme music. They 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 remain completely inflected by the lame parts of Sabbath. This access, this access is the parts of Sabbath that are just crushing, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like Rigor Sardonicus has a very good understanding of what is really cool about Black Sabbath and what all the potential was in that. Yeah, um, I agree. It's it's yeah. seized on the parts of Black Sabbath that made heavy metal. Yeah, it makes it sound like Sabbath without fucking it up. So that's aw- without like ruining funeral doom. So that's awesome. <laughs> and the only other band I can think of in connection to that is Reverend Bazaar. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, there's uh, they they had a both might be a direct influence here. Um, sometimes operate at funeral doom tempos, especially on the. Um, uh, the third the, one, I the, think. The one with the bizarre symbolist cover. It's their most extreme one, and they're I think that's black metal one. I think that's yeah. Crush the Insects. I think yeah, that's the I was. Th- one. That's the one I was thinking. Yeah, Crush yeah. the Insects. Um, is uh, no, it's So Long Suckers. Oh, okay, gotcha. So Long Suckers is just really long and has songs that are at funeral doom tempos. Um, and you know, it's very Sabbath influenced, but it also feels European, feels like black metal. Uh. Um, feels like very serious even though it is very sabbath and even though they're you know bluesy parts um mm-hmm. and yeah so this is comparable to reverend bazaar i think um uh yeah you got anything else or do you want now let's one? let's do another dude I, I i will just say it's like the the production of this record is like <sighs> Guy, I want everyone out there who's got like, because everybody who listens to this show like has a band. It's like <laughs> pretty much everybody. Yeah, that's true. Here's how you do wrong production the right way. This is produced in categorically incorrect ways. Yeah. <laughs> and it all comes together to create an atmosphere that's totally singular. This thing is fucked. Like. <laughs> After we hear my sample, I'd like you to remind me. I'd like to talk. Well, I have, I guess, a sort of continuous thing I want to do. But uh, why don't you tell them? They've heard the tone now. Tell them. Or no, let's circle back to it after. Circle back to it. After (laughs) uh, my second sample. Um, 
because there's some really good get more out guitar work on that. But yeah, uh, sure. I want to ask, I want you to explain how it's all done wrong. Okay. But, yeah. Sure. The the sound on this record is when I say I like raw and sort of ragged but powerful production. The sound on this record is just perfect. You should make your guitar sound like lightning. Uh, this is uh, the last track. Um, and, and so now now where I'm moving is basically the last track. If you translate the Latin, it's uh, the earth has been moved. It's been a long time since my high school Latin, but I'm pretty sure it's a past participle. Um, it could be the earth is moved, but either way, pretty fucking heavy. Um, uh, I think it sort of translates either way. Um, the next one is, uh, something like Kylum Ardere Vidistis, you have seen the heavens burn. And these are sick titles. Um, and it gets at another side of the band. You were talking about the mood, uh, you can also hear this really as, as quite epic and as music of titanic nature, pitiless, indifferent nature, and therefore glorious nature, uh, in the same way that Stormcrow Fleet does that. This has the interesting thing is that even though this is by far the most primitive, monged take on Funeral Doom, like brutal, reductive, without frills, it can't it if you heard it hear it in a certain way it taps into the same kind of uh the same majesty um and so i got that from the first riff basically let's listen to kylum ardere vidistus from the start to whenever It's staggeringly heavy, and and this is this is a case where like production and timbre matter. You know, it, it's where like, there's ways to play that riff where it's just silly. Here, it just communicates unspeakable weight. You could, yeah, you could blast it in a way that would give it a rhythmic rigidity, and it would just sound like totally stock. 
right? Mm-hmm. I think you could play it well with blast beats, but it, there's a lot in inflection and in tone, as you're saying. It's, um, yeah, it, it really works really well at this tempo. Um, it It is so simple, right? It mm-hmm. is, is one, two, three, four, five, six, six yeah. chord note. And yet it's a hybrid riff. Right? Mm-hmm. First part is sort of vicious and gothic in a classic early extreme metal, like dom, 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 dom. Right? Mm-hmm. Some like fives and sixes, some half steps. Yeah, it's got that, it's got that Bella Lugosi movie. Yeah, vibe. Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah, yeah, spiky castle. Um, and then it just drops down to like fucking like minor six, flat seven, dom, dom, boom. You just get like the earliest, the heaviest fucking shit when like Depp, when people started to use Dorian scales and stuff and Sabbath in like, uh, you know, like I, I just always think of the radio singles, but you know, in like Paranoid, right? Mm-hmm. When it's just using those intervals and it just sounds like just really, uh, really heavy and it has a nobility to it that was lacking in music up to that point. Uh, it lacking in rock music, guitar, you know, except for some Zeppelin songs. Um, mm-hmm. And here, too, that ascent, it just, you know, there's a kind of just, you get this vicious, spiky castle and then the majesty of the castle. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's like Danzig chord progressions, too. He, he loves doing bluesy stuff with that kind of uh, underlying minor, epic chord progression. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's also very Ride the Lightning. It's very, like, For Whom the Bell Tolls. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it, all that sort of, like, traditional... It, I, I, it feels like a lot of it's, like, kind of from soundtrack music, in a way. One of the influences on that kind of epic in metal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can definitely hear the, like, early silent film horror soundtrack. Uh, You know, you can hear the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Nosferatu on this record. Certainly, especially for the first half of that riff, the more spiky castle Mm -hmm. part. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sabbath were, I think, (laughs) I mean, mean, this is just like, everyone knows this trivia better than me, probably, right? But the whole point, weren't they named for a, a, a gothic silent film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were named yeah. after a horror film. Yeah. Um, you know what I also like, uh, just is coming off this sample, I like how the vocals are delivered really fucking hard. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of funeral doom growls, especially the more atmospheric stuff, tends to be like a little bit quieter, a little bit more whispery. You know, they're going more for, uh, you know, that sort of low rumbling mm-hmm. timbre than projection. Mm-hmm. That is not the case here. Even after some of that projection's been sucked away by the pitch shifting, you can tell that these are like wild and unhinged vocals. There's oh. like a snarl to them, and he's, it's he's, fucking he's, weird. Yeah, he's doing them like winter, but it's been shifted down to the point where it is now almost brutal death. Um, yeah, it's it's so oh. it's so fucked up. But it's like, but it's one of those things where. Going back to my original thesis about like, what if it was just the description of funeral doom? You hear this and you're like, yeah, why haven't you all been doing that? You like want these to be really low and really growly, right? Why don't you just fucking pitch shift them down another octave and go for it? Okay, but about that riff, right? yeah, yeah. So, um, so basically, like hybrid riff, two moods, vicious to epic, right? A lot happens, right, in that riff. 
in that we can say it has a hybrid form, and yet it is so short, right? And the key thing is that even though the riff depends on that contrast and that internal change, there is no development. Yes. The riff is one thing, and it has one feeling, which is sinister might. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the feeling of the entire record, right? Whether, whether you're allied with the sinister might or you're contemplating it or you're being, it's falling on top of you because it's a mountain or it's the ghosts attacking you. Mm-hmm. It's just sinister might. Um, the whole thing is cut from one cloth. Uh, and, you know, I think for that's one of the things we always love best is this kind of, uh, you know, rigidly homogenous music that pulls it off. Um yeah, I don't know. Now we can go on. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's... Um, I guess I could talk about this one. So there is... Uh... Oh, no, actually, you've got the next sample. I've got the next one, but why don't you talk about the production now, if you want to say something? Oh, you want to, like, a, a list of things that are, like, fucked up about it? Yeah, tell, tell us all what's fucked up about the production. <sighs> okay, so... Uh, what, what they did backwards, as you said. Okay, so the guitars are, like, clipping in a really bizarre way, and I think that they're hard panned left and right. They're not, like, a 50% pan. This has... It it creates a really weird negative space in the center. Um, obviously, the EQing is just completely fucked. It's just, you know... Yeah, all the bass frequencies are maxed out. Like, all the treble has been sucked away from this music, except in the drum machine... Uh, the programming, I think there's parts where there are just mistakes in the programming and they just didn't give a shit or the more horrifying possibility, they made it sound that way on purpose. Um, the, the drum machine samples are also just miserable and thin and cheap sounding in a cool way. Uh, I think they've been using the same old Roland drum machine since the very beginning. Uh, and the... The completely cold and alien and clicky way that it that it makes itself known amongst this like massive, overly hot vocal and guitar presence is bizarre. It doesn't blend at all. It's not supposed to. Um, it, everything. It's just. I can only imagine. I. I, I I got to pull this album up in like an audio program and look at these waveforms. I bet they are just squares. Yeah, <laughs> there's going to be no definition to these fucking things at it's all. It's just, and you look at it, and it's actually like an accurate depiction of like a like the Aztec step pyramid at Tenochtitlan. Yeah, these are like these guitars are like fucking sine waves. It's but that's what gives them their power, and also the they're getting that power out of a bunch of like bad materials. Like this sounds like kind of cheap off the cuff DI recording with not a great distortion patch, but they've actually piled on so much fucked up EQ and so much reverb, it becomes genius. It wraps right around. You hear that very digital sort of crumbling distortion, but that actually works for a record that's so alienated and inhuman. Um, It's an incredible combination of thematics and understanding how to get the effect that they want. It's, I, I think it's magnificent. That's a good word for this record. Yeah. So (laughs) 
On that note, featuring more of the sort of vast and magnificent side of the music, uh, let's go to another one, Vita Cantus, so probably like Song of Life, uh, something like that. Um, and this is uh, this is the only one that could be described as anything close to uh, sort of positive or upbeat, but definitely in a very sort of empty it uses a brighter chord, let's say, but in the same sort of relentlessly destructive and empty way. Um, and uh, <laughs> this is like one of the most negative things we've ever reviewed. This is a fucking black hole of a record. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So here, here, here's a you know here's a ringing chord that points to some of the cooler the things they do with it point to some of the cooler outside guitar work that are happening here and the way that they can when they want to pull back from just pummeling power chords and start fucking with and manipulating and shaping that you know searing sine wave tone So that's the song. There's two chords. Yeah. So the main riff is just the the two the two chord riff, and then the only thing that's even like another riff is that every I don't know four reps on the fourth you get this dun 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 dun. This you awful just, descending figure. Just horrible half-step turnaround that hits earlier than you think, later and earlier than you think it will, just sort of in the middle of the riff, and just rolls it around to the next one. That's the only thing even resembling another riff. Uh, and what you get there is, I think, some additional strings being played, and they're really sort of uh, 
savoring the overtones on that ringing thing. So it gets a bit of a bright major tonality uh, and a bit of a drone to it. Um, and it's really cool hearing those layers of tone sort of w- wobble over each other. Yeah, it, it, all the melodic voices on this record are just swimming pretty much mm-hmm. constantly. Um, a couple things occurred to me when I listened to that sample. Um, one is, okay, there are actually a couple bands I can kind of compare Rigor Sardonicus to. One would be a band we've covered previously on the show, which would be Encoffination. Um, Encoffination exists in like a similarly spare, almost barren very deathy funeral doom area. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the other is a band that I don't know if I've mentioned on the show, but they were a funeral doom band from the mid-2000s called Wraith of the Ropes that had a, a similar kind of horror movie atmosphere, but they tended to do more elaborate maximalist compositions. Um, but the other thing that I thought uh, that's more significant is I realized why Rigor Sardonica sounds so weird. Because, okay, you go into this band's history, right? Their first demo is released in 1994, and they claim that the band existed in some form since 88. Whoa. And I haven't heard the first demo, but I've, like, read reviews that say, oh, there's, like, blast beats on it. It's more like death metal, but definitely extremely weird. Um, But something occurred to me listening to that sample. You can get to Rigor Sardonicus with no other funeral doom. That's what makes it so distinct. This doesn't sound consciously influenced by what we think of as the progenitors of funeral doom. Bands like uh, Mm. Skepticism and Theragathon and Funeral and stuff like that. Yeah. You can get to Rigor Sardonicus just through death metal. Just by pounding it so far into the core of the earth you get something like this at the end. You could probably get it through black metal too. You know? I think I think so. Absolutely. Um it's uh it just has that elemental material of extreme music. Take certain qualities of either one and do the things to it they've done and you get this. I mean, the guys did a fucking cover of Kiss's God of Thunder in 2005. Which 2006. makes weird sense. Yeah. You can see yeah. how Kiss is kind of related to this. And it's just sheer absurd <laughs> fucking quality. <coughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, there's a way to get here just with Celtic Frost. You You lock someone in a room for 20 years with only a copy of Morbid Tales... Mm-hmm. On a tape deck that's decaying and slowing down, the you get this out of you know procreation of the wicked played at quarter speed. It's it's mm-hmm. fascinating. This is built in while it's funeral doom. It's entirely built out of just proto extreme metal material, and I find that really fascinating. It's that thing about like um, you can make really good funeral doom start in from almost any base material that is start from base material that is good. Do certain things to it. You have funeral doom. Yeah, yeah, you do. It's because uh, funeral funeral doom is maybe funeral doom is kind of like um, maybe it's kind of like grind. Maybe it's more of a technique than it is a genre. Yeah, yeah I think that is. I think that's exactly it. Because there's definitely we can already tell there's black metal funeral doom bands and there's death metal funeral doom bands. 
which means that there yeah, have to be yeah. every other option available too of sufficient yeah, or like shape of despair which was really like just a a goth dark wave funeral doom band yeah yeah that's that's interesting and now we start thinking oh god what possibilities haven't been explored yet and you know this this is how new ideas begin um so uh there is actually one moment on the record that's almost like a song. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, later in the record, there's a track called uh, Voluntatum Die. Uh, Voluntatum Dei, Die. Dei. Dei. Acts of, act of God. Yeah. If, this, this, will of, probably Will of God. Let's see. I'm really getting scooped by the pagan here. God damn. <laughs> I, should, I should know this stuff a lot more. Um, so this is the closest thing to a sort of more regular Funeral Doom song on the record. Um, it has like a distinct lead melody. And what's really interesting about this record is that one, there's a big range of like song lengths on display. Uh, the opening track, the opening couple tracks are just over four minutes long and it only goes as long as about nine minutes. So these are pretty compact for funeral doom songs. Um, but there's basically two kinds of songs. You've got a bludgeoning song, which is, you know, one or two riffs just repeated over and over again. And it's it's mostly about timbre and atmosphere. And then you've got songs like this one that are about agonizingly slow, iterative change in the vein of a more traditional funeral doom band or like an ambient project. You know, a, a single melody transformed very slowly over the course of a song and this track does it really well with a melody that starts very traditional almost surprisingly traditionally funeral doom and mournful and slowly brings it in more and more sinister directions as the song progresses
So the the way that arpeggiated riff is arranged is so fascinating, and it's like a unique feature of Funeral Doom. I think we talked about that um, when we were talking about that Shape of Despair record, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where the time dilation caused by playing at such slow tempos has mm-hmm. a transformative effect on melodies. Yes. Um, so that's two arpeggiated figures that are identical, except the second time around, the final note is a half step lower. Um, and it's almost like that French technique of having the sour turnaround, but it's delivered at such a slow speed by the time you arrive back at that sort of ugly dissonant note, you, you can't even remember the more mournful opening. You're in a completely different place and mood. Uh, your, your mood is dislocated Mm. from where the song actually is because it's so slow, which is a fascinating and weird effect that this album has it feels like you're this this music moves at a snail's pace but it feels like you're always trying to catch up with it does that make any sense i I think i get what you mean it's like you're only i mean I don't quite have that memory lag feeling on that riff, but I get what you mean. It doesn't hit as, like... It doesn't hit as fucking up the riff. It kind of sounds just as epic as the minor six when it hits, but also just really vicious. Really just when when that... that when that, It's just like, oh, God. Um, but there's something about what you say makes sense to me. It's like, at every given point, you are... Even though the music is... Well, it's just because everything is one thing on this record. It's like, at any given individual point, you're sort of at all of it, but you're also just only there. It's completely absorbing at any given point. Each chord is worth hearing, and maybe even down... Maybe what you're saying is like, getting at is like even down to like the part of the riff it's just your brain is in that part of the riff it doesn't feel like the blast part of the riff is getting ruined because right there you're just there to hear that yeah you are um there's something strangely isolating about this record Mm -hmm. you really are falling into a series of moments progressing very slowly through time yeah, it's it's kind of meditative, like maybe in a in a very physical kind of uh, in the way the meditation is supposed to be kind of anti thought, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, let's you know, let's do a little bit of um, uh, a, a little bit of what's in the name, right? That's how that's how bullshit record critics start reviews, but it's how we end them. Um, <laughs> Right, so obvi- so like you know, you're probably familiar with the term sardonic, and especially from doesn't Dark Throne have sardonic wrath? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, uh, and so I was just like a little curious, right? Uh, what, given that these guys are pretty serious about the Latin stuff, what's the exact etymology there? So, um, right. They, on, on the Metal Archives, which, who knows, might be derived from an interview, they say the band's name means rigid and sardonic in Latin. I don't know if there's some idiom where it's understood to be an and there, but it seems like it would translate as just, like, sardonic rigor, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, and maybe, like, uh, I 
it might be a medical condition, honestly, like Richter, <laughs> like like Richter Mortis, or yeah, because, yeah. Uh, be, because like um, when we say something is sardonic, right? We mean it's a kind of cutting humor, and at least according to Etymology Online, which actually seems pretty good, it goes back from Latin back through back to like Homeric Greek, uh, and it's because. They believe that eating a certain plant called the sardonion caused facial convulsions resembling those of sardonic laughter. Something like, obviously that definition kind of goes in circles, right? But it's like poison causing hysterical or cruel looking laughter. And so it becomes used for like hysterical, scornful laughter. And there is something, and so you can imagine that being kind of like a... a you know, kind of like this rigidity of death. Uh, but the other important thing, right, is that even in this image of scorn and hysteria and contortion, it is laughter, right? They have a um, they have an earlier split that's like a your mama joke, right? <laughs> there, there's there's laughter in all of this, and you know, like it's a uh, I guess, you know, it just, it really is about death, dying, killing, getting killed. They just make it seem really cool. Remote Shinobi, Ed, Remote Shinobi, Ed, Remote Shinobi, Ed, Remote Shinobi.